Looking for beyond ordinary investment opportunities? Global X ETFs is here to help with their suite of thematic income, commodity, and digital asset funds. Explore the range at globalxetfs.com.au. And now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Milsons Point in Sydney. You are listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 7, Episode 4. Thank you to Global X for all they've done. And a reminder that all of the financial information in this podcast is generally nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Now, I note that this podcast is part of the sponsorship of Global X, which is great. It's not going to be one of those boring, stayed, formatted ones where we just go through. Here are some products. It's actually going through the bits and pieces of, of what's being seen thematically um, by one of the best in the business of Global X, uh, which is good. So full caveat on that. That that this is sort of how it works, and this is what this is this is what happens. But it's actually, fortunately, I, I get to choose my sponsors. <laughs> Fantastic! I do get to choose my sponsors, and I, do, I get to choose interesting people who have interesting things to say, just as well that you do, which is good. Uh, my name is James Whelan. I am the investment manager, a investment manager here at VFS Group. This episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is the fifteenth of February. Holy crap! Valentine's Day was yesterday, two thousand and twenty-three AD. Uh, now. Uh, this this young man, I met him at we were with Comsec, uh, and from Comsec, uh, then I met him at your ex BlackRock and did some amazing work there. Made the big move to Global X, more interesting stuff, I assume, um, bit more innovation, whatever they've got, and and from there, Global X with the big moves that they've made in the market, huge leaps and bounds in in not only putting their name out there but also in the products that they've got, which is cool. Ladies and gentlemen, Blair Hannon. James, where do I go post that? I'm not sure. You've done it all for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we did. We met a long time ago back at uh, CBA, didn't we? It's, uh, yeah, they were good. Hit a right off. Our eyes met across the, the stacks bar downstairs and, you know, it was just it was love after that. Yeah, you call what you want. Yeah, okay. Now, a note for everyone who's listening as well that this podcast is going to come with notes. So Blair was good enough to send through a presentation, so he's got himself a slide deck here. We're going to be looking at it as we go here. Go to wheelandcapital.com, which is where my website is, which is where everything is stored. It's It'll be in the notes in the BIP Show tab. Go and hit it. It's not necessary to the listening of this one, but it will probably help you visualize some of the things that Blair's going to talk about and talk about them he will. So, look, Blair, let's start. Um, obviously, it's something that's very close to my heart, which is the commodity space. I'm very bullish on the commodity space. Yeah. Long term. Um, anyone, I think I've said this, I said this last week with David Scott, that anyone who doesn't have at least some part of a copper holding in your portfolio, talk to your advisor um, very, very strongly as to why that that could be um, and that there should be some sort of an exposure to that. Generally speaking, commodities I'm bullish on just with the world growth as it will always continue to be and with the demand on, on resources that we have. Yeah, and we can dive into that in some detail as well. For sure. But look, it's your show. Well, it's, sorry, it's your it's your party, so so go ahead here. So where are we going to start on this one? Look, I think <clears throat> what we what we do at, at Global X is probably you know you mentioned BlackRock before. We're not we're not really playing in that space, James. In that you know what they do is vital to if we're talking about ETFs as a general industry and investment management. Uh, the, the, you know, iShares Vanguard um, really important as part of the infrastructure in terms of you know for, for a lot of people getting access to low cost core or however they want to build a portfolio yeah that, that they're certainly going to play a, a really key role in that 
when I think about Global X, though, we're coming from a very different angle in that we want to give people a sort of different choice, an alternative choice. And the idea here is we kind of think of ourselves in three pillars. One of them is thematics, which is this is quasi a thematic. One of them is commodities, which is what we're going to do more of, but it sort of goes to a thematic. And the other one is income. So you now we're going to dive here into more and more thematics. And I think the idea here on the commodity side, it, commodities can be sort of bucketed in a thematic in the same in the same world. If you're talking about, you know, you mentioned copper, for example, you know, what is that big mega trend theme? What is that big thinking around what's going to happen next in copper? You can look at the day to day. You can, you know, that's probably more short term. We're thinking much more long term when it comes to this. So, yeah. so I think from our, from our perspective, how does an investor invest in, co- in commodities? Obviously, you've got a huge range. You've got the precious metals on gold. We, we don't have to go into that detail today, but because we'll stick to some of more the more the, the bulks and the industrials. But yeah, good. Uh, you've got the sort of the energy based ones. So again, if you think about thematics and talking about, and we'll talk about you know one of them may, maybe being decarbonisation, you can that can somewhat encapsulate some of those in terms of how they're going to roll off or or you know Rainier maybe picks up. Yeah. And then the, obviously the soft commodities. Again, there's probably not a huge amount of ways people can play that. And that's the that's the step, isn't it? So like, how do you, how do you as an investor want to access commodities in a portfolio? What which ways you want to do it? And there's obviously multiple ways. Yeah. But for most investors, most I would say they're probably not going to buy the physical, and they're probably not going to buy futures. The physical the physical is difficult. Myself as an as an advisor, straight up. <laughs> This sounds reverse. I've always found it difficult to, to be, no, legitimately I've always sort of had a bit of a bitch about the fact that it's very very difficult to get access to commodities. There was another ETF provider that did have a commodity ETF that was here locally. They wound it up, much to my aggression, they wound the commodities ETF up about 10 minutes before we had the massive commodities super cycle, mm. which, uh, which we covered on this show, that people still don't believe happened. But it's it's always the way that it's going to be. It's very difficult, and the other way to get direct access to it, apart from that, is I've got to go to London. Uh, that can be a little bit hard to do, and in the it's sort of in an ETF structure, it's 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 hard. It's hard, yeah, and it's clunky. ETFs are probably the, one of the cleanest ways, and I think if, if you break it up into those buckets again, precious metals, you know, you could go and buy a gold bar if you want, put it on your bed. Put it, no, safety's not great. Um, you're not going to go and buy a barrel of oil. You're not going to go and buy. You know, the, the carry cost for that is just ridiculous. Mm. You know, copper, for example, you do really want to have a bunch of copper sitting in, in, a, in a unlikely you want to sit in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. So so the other two choices are in a fund, an ETF, or through technically through equities. Yeah. So you buy in the miners. Then you leave it to the miners, yeah. Yeah, so you leave it to the miners. And, and what, what, does that, what does that come with? Well, that comes with, if you're buying individual companies, it comes with, you know, idiosyncratic risk, it comes with management risk, it comes with, you know, Feasibility studies. It comes with um, just general market, just just ups and markets, downs. Markets, right? Yeah. Right, like and, and rain like, going into a pit. These yeah. these sorts of things that are if you if you if you carve it down to a certain degree at one company, you're going to get exposed. So if you want to buy a copper company, you can do that, and you will get if you if you're right, significant upside. Yeah, or you can basket it across an ETF. Blair, as sure as God wears sandals, if there is a way for a stock to stuff up digging things out of a hole, I will find it. <laughs> okay, right. good. Okay. Yeah, good. So I think like, yeah, direct metals can work in some cases. Um, uh, look, you know, and I'm not, I'm certainly not here to talk product, but you know, it, it can work in precious metals in terms of holding it. Again, you can use it through an ETF or a fund or however you want to do it. Yep. Um, whereas probably some of the big bulks and industrial metals, it's, it's unlikely. You know, you're not going to go and dig some mine all out of the ground and throw it in your backyard and go one day I'm going to sell this. It's not. It's not likely going to work. So, so likely the benefits are through equities, and then you've got a choice. So you can either go single stock. 
or multiple stock, or you can go with ETF, which just gives you a basket. Okay. That's about as simple as it gets. Yep. Okay. So then we get digging, now you're digging into the investment case. So the, the, the kind of the why of what this is. And, and I think what we said, we're going to focus on um, the, the decarbonization. Yeah. Uh, yeah so let's, let's, let's get to the decarb because that was cool. And this is a new one that you guys have got. Um, sort of- so, so we've got a range in this space because yeah. what, what you, you know, what you got to think about is you can play, you can play any type of investment. And this is kind of an ESG style investment, but it's not ESG. Mm. It has a theme to it. Yes. You know, you're playing a decarbonization theme. ESG is all around taking companies out. Uh, and you know negative screening, etc. There is obviously some positive sides to that, and I'm not I'm not discounting ESG um, as what it does and what its role is. But this is yeah, this is more around if I want to if I see decarbonisation as a theme, how do I want to play that theme? And the way that we've sort of taken that a bent on that is to say, look, there is a huge amount of infrastructure that needs to be built to move towards clean energy and clean technology. Right, and to do that, There's no doubt that that is the case. Yes, that's, that's not that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, it really is. It, it's you know, it's it's going to happen at some point. So if you, even if you're a believer of not in climate change, I'm not judging you on that. But that this is happening. This is being driven by governments, and that's that's going to drive. Obviously, that's going to drive massive amounts of change. Yeah. So, so one way to do that is through thinking about what well, what metals or what materials are going to be a part of that program. Yep. So if you, if we you know utilizing this deck as an example, so what what we what we are calling. So we're on. Seven. Yes. Yeah, so what we're calling okay. green metals, yep. as an example, is what what is going to play a role, or what metals are going to play a role in building things, infrastructure. Obviously, batteries. We, we won't go into detail on lithium in this podcast, but building building uh, infrastructure around certainly around things like solar, mm. uh, wind farms. This is where we're going to get a majority of what we're probably what we're looking for. Well, two of my absolute favorites. Okay. Mate. So so you get a situation <laughs> where. You're going to need lots of areas like you need rare earths. You yeah. need lots of copper. Yeah. You're going to need zinc. Uh, you're going to need you know platinum and palladium, the PGMs. So you're going to need all these materials. So is that inherently a good thing for the globe in mining and stuff? Probably not. But there's no. What what choice do you have if we want to drive towards um, a really low carbon output of energy? We can have that conversation. It involves going nuclear. But okay. And look, and that's this is we're not going to say that. Right? Let's not get out there. It's, 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 it's interesting because we did we did recently bring out a, a uranium fund as well. On the back of that, encapsulating what all this is. Yeah. And the point is, we're going to give the investors choice. Like, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to push a particular fund. In my in my in my view, as an investor, it's funny, listeners. Anyone who's who's paying attention, the conversation that Blair and I are having is almost identical to the conversation that we would be having anyway with regards to. The ETF provider. This is this is not. This is this is, this is the least staged podcast I think I've ever had. Actually, talking about the bits and pieces. This is how an actual advisor would would break this down. I'm way- I'm, I'm prefer not to talk about products if I can. I'd rather no, no. talk about the idea. Yeah, I want to talk about the ideas. Yeah, yeah. which is, which is all I want to talk about as well. Let the yeah. ideas flow from that um, for myself. The green metals. I th- the way that I see that that um, wind farms and solar is sort of being a stopgap before there's a eventual move towards some of the bigger things that are actually playing, and that being nuclear or fusion. Yeah, so, look, so 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 what happens has to happen. There is no alternative to that. This these things actually have to take place and they will continue to take place, same as hydrogen. This um yeah, anyway. I'll, so, I'll, I'll so get think, out of your way. So there's a concept we have and it's not in this particular there's an element of in this deck that's not in this deck and, and we can give you this, James, and you put it on your website by yeah. all means. Called the S curve. And the S curve is around it's the opposite of the business cycle, it's opposite of the, what we're seeing right now with inflation and interest rates. It's around technological adoption. And you can really think about 
a wind turbine or a solar array as part of that technological adoption, and we'll come back to that in a moment uh, at the end of this in this presentation. Yeah, I'm going to get out of your way. Keep it going. Yeah, so, look, yeah, to your point around like nuclear fission and, and these sorts of things, that they are at the far left of of an S curve because the technology is not ready yet. The adoption is not going to happen until the technology is ready. And then as that grows, you move into the mass market and it takes off. Now, from an investment lens, where do you want to play? You want to play in that just pre-mass market before it really takes off. Correct. So, look, this is a different lens because we're talking about commodities here, but the idea here is these particular metals, and lithium is in, in this bucket for sure. Yeah. Battery technology we know is going to be really important around EVs. And again, we won't labour that point today. Already, already is. That's a whole podcast of its own. And many people have already done that before. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not reinventing any wheels here. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of a done it's kind of a done move. So, so the, the concept here though, I think, is a simple one. In that, and, and we're going to go down this path a little bit on copper. And I think this is slide seven. If we move to slide eight, good. Okay. So this is from the. Um, International Energy Agency, which is a great resource for anyone who wants to dive into this topic. They've got huge amounts of um, excellent content and research on the website. Uh, yeah. So this is mineral, minerals used in clean energy technologies compared to other power generation sources. Yeah, so okay. I, think, I think the interesting thing here is, you know, that what does copper do? Do you know what you know? You, conducts electricity. Conducts the electricity. The possible way that it can do. Yeah, yeah. so it's, the, it's probably one of our, our best chances. It's it's. You know, you could probably substitute aluminium, but it's not going to help that well. The conductivity is not as good. And from a cost point of view, copper is our best, our best shot at that. It's been used for mm-hmm. mainly on this, on this type of um, infrastructure. Correct. We've done this, yep. So so the idea here, though, is, and this is really going back to basic economics around supply and demand. So copper is used across every single one of this, these types of infrastructure. It's used now in natural gas. It's used now in coal. It is also used in nuclear, solar, onshore and offshore wind because yep. what does it do? It takes out electricity and puts it back into the grid and it's important. Yep. The, the interesting thing here is in the fact that it's used. The interesting thing here is the, the magnitude of how much more you need for clean technologies than what you do for traditional um, fossil fuel-driven technologies. Yep. So you're talking between three to four to five times more in these type of technologies because of the, the output of electricity and the way that they, they're generated rather than just one single standing, again, coal-fired power plant. Yeah. And the same thing can be said for electric vehicles. You're talking about three to four times more electricity, sorry, um, copper, due to having to move the electricity around a car yeah. than you would in a in a combustion engine. Well, it was a, a show that we did a couple of years ago with Rob Brenny, head of commodities over at Westpac, mm-hmm. who I, I, I mentioned that stat about there being you need three times as much copper in an EV as in an internal combustion engine. And he corrected me, as most people do. Uh, and he corrected me and said, actually, I'm not going to do his accent, but it's because beautiful Scottish accent. So it's actually more like five times, James, yeah. because you're not counting in charging stations and the electricity between charging stations to move stuff around. It, it, to do EV, it's actually five times as much per car than an internal combustion engine vehicle. The stats only someone like Rob could have, but like, it blows your mind exactly how much copper is required to, to, to go into Elon Musk's magical dream of Tesla. Yeah, and that's just that's just one component of this whole regime change that we're seeing the shift because electric vehicles are they're a big part. You know, that's a that's a major move um, from an infrastructure perspective and also from a you know from a change of mentality and, and consumer behaviour perspective. This is about this is about driving energy to your house. This is about um, about the use case of if we are going to get to net zero, where we're going to sit. To the point around it being inevitable at some point. This is this is what governments are doing. So if we if we look, I don't like to flick through decks, but 
No, it's 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 your presentation. Yeah. yeah. So I think the idea here though is is so we've gone we, to nine. Just yeah, so everyone knows. We have gone to nine. So yeah. where where are we where are we at? I think these visuals do help. So yeah. you know, for, again, for those listeners who want to follow along, yeah. we'll try to talk it through. But they do help. Is that? And this is probably slightly changed. And this is, I think, this is a point that we can make. A lot of this, the concepts here are long term. They are much more around you know ten year plus investment you know mentality. Um, it's not mutually exclusive. If you, if you if you do like coal, and we're talking about coal on this particular slide here. That's fine if you think it's great on the short term, and it would have been a great trade the last couple of years. Probably not the back end of last year, but it would have been a great trade. Yeah, you could you can have both. Um, the idea here is, is that coal expectation around revenue is going to degrade over the next twenty years um, as as governments uh, driven by the population drive towards renewable energy. And where where are the benefits of that? Pretty obviously, the green metals. Mm-hmm. So they they're going to benefit out of that. And again. So the th- we're sort of stacking this, uh, stacking these slides up to say, and to build like this is sort of the building investment case up to say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Yep, and that's great. What does that mean from an investment point of view, though? It means that you you need to weigh up if you're going to make money out of that. How do you invest alongside of it? So this is where the idea of you know you can you can buy a single stock, you can buy an ETF that has a basket of of companies that are investing in that space. So I just want to read at that point. Yep. So look as look as we move through, this is where the demand the demand and supply dynamic works. And and, and to simplify this, how this works, it's basically a very reasonably simple triangle. Demand's on one side, supplies on one side, and then what's in the middle is essentially price. So if there's an if there's an imbalance. And we're on slide ten here. If there's an imbalance, what's going to have an impact on that? If there's a, if there's a if there's a demand imbalance and there's a lack of supply, you're going to see higher prices. Yep. On obviously on the flip side, if if there's much more supply than demand, low you're going to see lower prices. It's, it's a, this is not this is yeah. not scientific. Yeah, no, I'm not, yeah. not smart enough for that. Yeah. Um, but this is just to say, like you look at these metals, and the expectation around what the the demand for these metals are and how much supply we would have, and this is in particular in 2040. We're just not going to meet. We're not going to meet the demand. Yeah. So what have we got? Actually, go through some numbers here specifically that we're looking at. So, so, so these are this is so these are again key to things like electric vehicles, wind turbines, and, and solar um, arrays. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, and again, these are the metals. Again, we're building the case here. Yeah. These are the metals that you need. And again, this is coming from the um, IEA to to meet the demand of if we do get towards those and, and look. What you'll find a lot of the electric vehicle stats are coming from car companies and electric vehicle companies, which is, which which are you know slightly biased as you would expect. Um, but the, the numbers are pretty amazing in terms of where, where the expectations are. But you just, you know it's a, it's an absolute step change. So lithium is an interesting one, obviously, because we know that it probably didn't have a huge use case. It, you know, it's used, but it never like compared to what a battery in a car is compared to a battery in a phone. Yeah. It's, a, it's a massive difference huge in terms of size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where copper. Again, copper's been used for millennia. Like it's not like it's a new deal. You know, we, you know, it is the it is Doctor Copper for a reason. Well, my and- favorite's my favorite's always been nickel. Ever since ever since my first day in broking, I think I, I was there the first day that uh, I can't remember what the nickel producer was, Havilar or whoever they were, but uh, but they they came and presented in that day, and I was just like, well, there's there's, there's just not enough nickel. Yeah, and this is in two thousand five. Going and just looking at what the nickel was. So, so run us through here. Well, you've got. What's the orange bar? What's the blue bar? That's so, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's it's the basically the expectation of where the demand will be compared to where the s- potential supply will be. Yep. Um, so we're really seeing 
it's a, it's a pretty significant gap in a, in many spaces. Um, yeah. So there's seven. What is the seven? There's actually? particularly seven here. And Growth these... in multiples relative to 2020. Okay, so relative to 2020 by 20. So I 2040. 2040. So the 2040 projection is that there's going to be a seven times requirement as if everything's just sort of goes as it is now. But if the IEA sustainable development scenario is plays made, out, plays plays out, out by 2040, it's actually a 19 times increase in the demand for nickel than the 2020 spot. That's right. Okay. Again, that's pretty significant. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, good, the basic good. supply and demand. So this is, I want to come back to this S-curve now. So we've sort of done supply and demand. Yeah. And okay. I'll come back to it again. On, on I can see you're winding up for something good here. Well, I don't want. No, you are. It's I don't want. Um, this is the S-curve articulated for the use of renewables as a share of global power mix. Right. This is slide 11, guys. Anyone this is, got, yeah, slide, yeah, you're much better at that than me. Go on. Um, so where, where do we sit? We're sort of just above 30% of... of The renewable share of global power mix. This is yep. the beautiful S-curve. Yes. Okay. So Australia, we're about 30 as well. Yep. Um, we'll, we'll use roundabout numbers here. Hi, to, South Australia, if you're listening as well. Yes, we know what happened there, down there with, uh, with the battery. But, um, you know, if we want to get anywhere near net zero by 2050, is obviously is, is this big, broad goal. Yeah. Um, this is this is the where the adoption, this is the S curve. Yep. The adoption kicks in, and we really move strongly towards that mass market uptake. Yep. And I think there's, a, there's been a couple of things here that that I'm sure you're listening well across. Energy independence is now so front of mind, especially for the areas that like we're very beneficial, as we know. We've got coal, we've got natural gas. You know probably too much of it and we export more than we than we have and obviously that's putting pressure on our prices as well. Right. What what what, do, what does Europe have? Essentially nothing. Um, what does a bulk of Asia have? You know, not a huge amount. So what do they want to do? They want to drive independence. They they had the pressure out of Russia that they didn't have they didn't have independence and that obviously fell apart. Mm. What can you do in your own backyard? You can build, you know, it's not not perfect for this, but you can obviously build a wind turbine and you can build solar array and you can get energy independence. Some sort of independence to see that. At least, at least be a fair chunk off the grid. Yeah. Yeah, so a chunk. Like, and you're never going to be completely off the grid, sure, uh, well, certainly in the next couple of years. But so, so the European energy crisis actually sped up this curve of the adoption. And what we saw, and this is, I think this is the kicker. I'm going to do one up for this, but this is the kicker. COP27 last year, one of the stats that came out of that was the expectation is from COP27 that the, the spend the spend that's going to be needed to build the infrastructure to, to move towards um, the 2030 goal of sort of 60 a bit of 60 percent is between four and six trillion US dollars a year. Okay, and where does that go? In the infrastructure build, in the commodity space, in that area. So that so the demands there is a supply there. We, we know it's not not we, probably there. We know it's point. not there. Yeah, but the spend is absolutely there to get to. The to spend get. is there. Yeah. So by 2030, we're talking about 61% is going to be a renewable share of the global power. Yes, yeah, so we're nearly doubling in that 10-year span. Yeah, and that's only 2030. That's so the acceleration my, my is kids really will quick. just be maybe thinking about finishing high school. Yeah, so the acceleration is really quick, and that's the whole point of the ESCO. That's when the acceleration kicks in Yeah, in, the, in that phase of that yeah. of that really the big market move. So so what, what we see is, and we're we'll, – We'll move on to slide 11 as, as an example of copper. Yeah, the 12 supply, here. Yes, so. 12 here. So the supply and demand of copper at the moment is finally balanced. 
its use case, you know, it's essentially has been telecommunications, building homes, building electricity, like a lot of those sort of areas that, you know, you commonly see as copper from an economic cycle point of view. If the expectation is that we do need to build and move from 30%, so essentially double where we're at, where does that copper come from? So I think there's really good two cases in point here, and you would know this, James, I'm sure you talked about it. BHP, what do they do to try to flip up their copper supply? To, to what, sorry? BHP, what do they just do to firm up their copper supply, like in terms of their own business? They just went out. And they bought? Bought Oz Minerals. Oz Minerals, yeah. Oh, I thought that was a trick question. It's not yeah. a trick question. Okay, okay yeah. Because, but this, they just this, bought a company that does a lot of that stuff. They're, yeah. they're, they're looking forward and playing this out now. Okay. Rio's another one. I just do it host at home. They have a large copper mine up in Mongolia. What do they do? They just went and bought out their partner in Canadian listed Turquoise Hill. Right. To do what? To get access to more copper. So, so these companies on the ground are playing, are seeing this. So Mike Henry, the CEO of BHP, uh, sort of back end of last year said, there's a potential that copper is in supply deficit by the end of this in this decade because of this. Yep. Uh, and what does that mean? What happens if there's supply deficit? Price, Price goes up. Yeah. So that and that's how you make money out of the investment side of it. So yep. if you if you're a believer in this, great. If you like ESG, great. If you don't, great. Doesn't matter because the idea is you're trying to figure out the investment case. Yeah. This is the basic investment case of all styles of sort of investing is think about the supply and demand. Yeah. Where's there a shortage? Benefit gain. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So look, I think we can we can continue to go through the whole deck. I don't know how much time you want to spend on this. I think there's some interesting, interest like a bunch of interesting ideas here. Um, and I think you know by, by all means for your listeners, I can flick through this deck. It's just it's just bulk full of information. One of the, I think the short term drivers on copper, and everyone's watching, is the China reopening trade. Yeah, and I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this a little bit about uh, about this sort of. On, on air and then off air as well. So let's just let, let's go into the China reopening trade about what is actually being um, checked here. So the idea for us here is we see um, China sort of being, as it says here, net short copper in general. Hmm. Um, but it, this is much more on that traditional and economic use of copper driving growth of an economy. So if you think GDP growth is going to come back in China, which the market's certainly starting to tend towards. Yeah, it's been tweaked up. You would expect to see short-term gains in in uh, copper prices on the back of China. It has slightly tipped off recently. Um, as we've seen, we had a really strong back end of last year for copper, but it's slightly tipped off. Yep. Um, but the thesis that we just ran through is much more in the long term. And when, and when we think about thematics, as you would expect, what are we thinking about? It's much more in the long term. Yeah, it's sticking in your portfolio. It's 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 definitely, if for clients that it, uh, where it's their super fund, it's it's got to have a part of their super fund for me, for my clients and the advice that I give because it's your super fund. This will be part of your retirement. This will be part of what happens at the end. Yeah, look, I, I, I won't um, judge in terms of who, who wants to put it in where, but... No, that's, it, me, that's me saying that. Okay. I, I'm allowed to say that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, right. what we generally see a lot of um, investors utilise in this space is in the sort of core slash satellite. These are sort of the satellites as, as, a, as a role in a portfolio. Yeah. Again, how they want to use that is, is absolutely up to them. But going back to this point, so, you know, China... Again, they're driving heavily towards um, clean energy and they're driving heavily towards electric vehicles. They, they, you know, you'd be surprised, but they're, they're kind of at the forefront of this of this shift. But they also um, are moving from obviously developed market to to uh, sorry emerging emerging or developed market to, um, developing to a developed market. Yeah. And what does that take? It takes a bunch of copper. Takes yeah. Uh, so the, the reopening trade is more. I, I probably would think a more short term 
mover of the copper price um, over the broader theme that we just mentioned as a long term. Yeah, I don't know. Do you do you have a view? Like, I'd love to hear your view. No, that, that's that's exactly spot on with with the way that I'm going. The if anything, the reopening of China really does express to exactly how much they can actually move markets and how much they can actually get things done. The direction that they're going to take will will exacerbate any anyone that has ever said, okay, China will be using this and demanding this and actually going through this. Um, electrifying the world, China will be a part of that. doesn't matter how much they produce through coal or even through nuclear, they still need to trans, transfer energy, from transfer power from one place to another. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's actually that it's the, it's the best way that we have of conducting electricity. There's no other way. No. So, so, so China's reopening is, and everything is all about the actual conduction of electricity, shifting shifting things from one power plant to where people actually need it, as they move to more of an actual consumer economy. People consuming things, people using TVs, using toasters, all of these things that people consume from being that manufacturing economy. They they will continue to use and need as much of this stuff as they possibly can, and as they move to an EV economy as well, which they are very much at the forefront. I hate to say it, but they're at the forefront of doing that as well. They are. They really yeah. are. So look, I, we, I don't know if we want to keep on continuing going through this whole this whole presentation. I think it's certainly there for um, inventories. You know, inventories okay. is interesting. So if you want to close it up on inventories, and then we can uh, yeah, we can wrap yeah, it up. Okay. And I think there's a couple more slides, and it's more around hey, look, it's difficult to pick particular commodities each year. Go for it. But we'll do inventories. Inventories. So, so for those of you who are clean, keen watchers, and you can never look at this yourself. This is not anything secret. Um, there's a couple of areas you can track, and that's one of them is uh, COMEX, the biggest one probably being the LME. And what yep. we're seeing, though, is, is copper copper um, inventories at these big sort of warehouses is very, very low. Um, and what does that mean is that any sharp moves or any 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 big, big sort of orders have a massive impact on price. So, again, the expectation is that if you if you look at this chart, you, you've seen that back in 2004. Rolling page 15. Five, page 15. Yep. Again, you're doing much better than me. That's okay. Um, but we are sort of at that at that lower end of the inventories. It's, it's starting to run out in terms of what it is. And that, so this, again, has an impact on, we keep saying it over and over, but supply and demand. Mm. Um, and more so on the supply because if supply is low and demand is high, we'll, we'll, they can't actually access it in a very short period of time. And there's a really interesting piece I'll sort of try to finish up on this for you from Bloomberg the other day. Uh, and it was all around the fact that, you know, copper might might be the case where it actually stops the electrification process, program, change, because they're just it just there's not enough out there. So they actually it, it actually slows things up and there is then figuring out some substitutions and ways around it. That's interesting. Um it was a high level point, but it was it like, is a high level point. Yeah, and, but, and it is something to think about too. Because the the problem is with supply. You can't just flick a switch and go, hey, we've got a new mine now. Let's, let's just pull some copper out of the ground. There's problems. Where does most of the copper in the world? It's sitting down in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, yeah. C- certainly here, but, you know, BHP's biggest mine is in South America, Escondida. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some issues around governments there wanting more and from a royalty point of view. There's yep. issues around um, strikes. There's, there's some problems that, again, short-term, but have long-term effects on supply. So it's just it's just a really it's a nice area to keenly watch, I think, for investors uh, and I think most investors in Australia are pretty savvy when it comes to commodities. Uh, we've got two of the biggest bulk commodities in the world. Yeah, we do understand of- how, how stuff comes out of the ground and how it's important and what goes after that. Yeah. So, look, I think wrapping it up, um, look, I pr- again, I appreciate that. Love to be on this on this uh, on the pod. And 
I think, you know, we, we sort of finish up this this presentation with a bit of an idea of picking commodities is, again, difficult. So for many investors, it might be finding a basket of commodities. Again, ETF can help with that. Uh, it might be liking one particular commodity. Again, whatever whatever you work on, how much research you want to do, how much you want to listen to James Whelan, um, that's up to you. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's... I don't understand anyone who does. It's no, very, yeah. it's, never, it's never easy. So... Yeah. Um, just think about how you want to actually do that in type of investment. You know, EGF may suit, it may not. But this is just really this, this idea, this periodic table of commodities on page, uh, what are we talking, page 16, is really to show you that, you know, picking one commodity each year is not an easy task for anyone. That's good. It's a really nice little chart and summed up you know, quite nice. Just nicely. shows you the performance. Look, that's, uh, that's about it. Look, no more product uh, chat that's on there. It's been good to talk to you about what's required uh, I, I like banging this drum i can't bang this drum anymore about exactly what's required for it but it's good to have it in some real detail there and also the spread of things that, that that can be that will be needed and will be required for us to be able to continue on as a species as just a population of people who are just moving forward or as you said we just don't which is also going to be an interesting situation that happens and then a whole bunch of other stuff just don't as well and you know the, good, the you know the good part about all this we didn't mention ai once oh. <laughs> There's something I wanted to bring up. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do AI. Come back on and we'll talk about artificial intelligence at some stage. But um, I'm, I've had this conversation a lot lately. It's uh, it's a clangor. Well, eventually, I could just do this podcast through AI and it just sort of just generates a podcast through AI. But then I wouldn't be able to sit here and just say my hilarious, witty things that I say. Um, look, that's it. I've got nothing else to say, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Blair Hannon, Global XETS, for, for joining us today and telling us everything that you've just told us. Appreciate it, James. All right. Thanks very much, guys. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore Bip underscore show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. This episode might be over, but your ETF investing journey with Global X is only just beginning. The expert team at Global X ETFs is ready to support your goals with their wide suite of ETFs. For the latest updates, follow Global X ETFs on LinkedIn and Twitter at Global X ETFs Australia.